0: Most people settle because they don't know how to maximize the potential that God has given them. Welcome to the Thrive College Podcast, where we help young leaders navigate the challenges and opportunities of their future and faith. Each episode, we'll be giving the mic to young leaders to ask tough questions to some of the world's most influential voices. We're excited you're here with us today. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Thrive College Podcast. I'm Dina Davidson, host of the podcast. We're going to quickly go down the line, introduce our amazing students. Just say your name and what campus you're from.
1: Uh, My name is Cody Pruis, and I'm with the Blue Oaks campus.
0: Hi, my name is Nicole, and I am from the Folsom campus.
1: Hi, I am Cameron, I'm from the Granite Bay campus.
0: And joining us, we have two incredible leaders, Cole and Kate Zick of Moral Revolution. Give it up! Woo! That was you guys' cue, by the uh, way. Did you uh, think they were going to applaud for it. themselves? No, you can just like <laughs> add an the applause. They were expecting you to cheer for yourself, <laughs> yeah, which is yeah. kind, know, of, yeah. kind of odd. Yay us!
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> we love
0: ourselves so much. Okay.
2: We're so cool and awesome.
0: We're so happy to have you here as you're so happy to be here. Here's the deal. We have been wanting to have more revolution on the podcast for a long time. We know that questions about sex and sexuality are at the heart of what this generation is trying Trying to live out well. They're trying to honor Christ in this area. They're trying to honor others in this area, but it is a struggle. And we love Moral Revolution because you are all about celebrating God's design for sex and sexuality. So first question is: we're kicking it off, tell us why Moral Revolution? Why would the two of you dedicate your life to Moral Revolution?
2: Yeah, really, it comes from our story. You know, Caitlin and I both have We had very different childhood, high school, even not necessarily college age, but middle school and high school years were very, very different as it came to relationships and sexuality. And then, you know, when we got married, we realized, wow, we got married at 22, but things that had taken place at 13, at 14, followed us into marriage and started to have an impact on the way we were married. And so it kind of created this passion in us to be the person to the next generation that we didn't have when we were younger um, and to Mm -hmm. be the voice that we didn't have, you know, when a lot of times when we travel and we speak, especially if we're doing parents or a Sunday morning church service, we'll ask people, how many of you had a great sex talk with your parents? How many of you, it was like, it was thorough. It helped, you know what you needed to know. And you know, nobody." (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) like nobody. And the next question is, well, how well did silence work out for you? And so I think that's probably the thing not to speak for Caitlin because she does a great job speaking for herself, but (laughs) I think that's the thing that's the fuel for us is to just break the silence to remove it, remind people, wait a sec, God designed sex. God made this on purpose. um, And I want, we want to give people a bigger vision for it than they currently have.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So often I think that the world is screaming to us about sex. Like you can't drive down uh, Highway 50 without seeing it. you can't walk in Roosevelt Galleria without seeing Victoria's secret 10 foot you know naked woman. So it's like the world is constantly screaming the perverted version uh, and then the church has often been silent on the top t- topic but we know that the kingdom of God celebrates sex like that it was God who gave this gift and so really just we're so adamant about turning up the truth, God's truth, about sex and instead of keeping it as this silent, hushed, shameful topic saying, actually, wait, when did like it You kind of became like sex, drugs and rock and roll? Like what? Like sex isn't the bad thing. That was the heaven thing that's gotten mm-hmm. so perverted. So we exist to tell the world a better story about sex.
0: Ooh, I love that. We exist to tell the world a better story. That's actually, honestly, the perfect jumping off point into where we wanted to go first in this conversation. And we want to have a conversation around shame. Because I think a lot of people, when they come to this conversation, specifically when they come at this from a Christian or church-centered standpoint on sex and sexuality, That's their starting point is a place of shame. So um, that's where we want to kick it off. So Cameron, you want to ask our first question?
1: Yeah. So this one is definitely like personal for me, but looking at my past relationships and mistakes that I've made, how do I move forward or forgive myself into my next relationship and and really make that right with God and personally?
3: Oh, that's a good one. I think... An important thing is, first of all, that you're self-aware of them. I think one of the biggest mistakes made is like living in denial or trying to hide it. So knowing we don't want to live, the enemy would love for us to either consciously choose, right, to ignore it and to hide it and to act like it's not a thing or even just subconsciously. Like some of us, like there might have been degrees of sexual sin and promiscuity in our past that we weren't even in a sense phased by, we think like, Oh, it was no big deal. And we move forward, but then it ends up tripping us up later. And we didn't even realize the kind of the hook it had in us from the past. So I think taking a really good, healthy assessment with the Holy spirit of looking at what is my sex story. And the best way mm-hmm. to do that without incurring loads of shame is looking back so far to realize how did I learn sex? Cause I think that's mm-hmm. where the hook comes out of realizing, okay. wow, I didn't even know what I was doing. So for me and my story, I was sexually promiscuous starting in seventh grade as like a 12-year-old, 13-year-old girl, um, started having all of these sexual experiences that escalated while I was 14, 15. And so when I looked back at my story to be able to really assess, okay, what, what where was I? Where did the root come from this? And then really being willing to bring it all to the light. So first with myself, like being able to look at it and be like, oh my gosh, I kind of forgot. I mean, for me, there was also some, you know, alcohol and different things involved, so you could literally forget some of it. So looking at it with the Holy Spirit, saying, where was I? What was I doing? What impacted that truthfully have on me? And then asking yourself, who's a healthy, righteous person in your life that you could confess this with? Um, mm. James five sixteen says, you know, confess your sin one to another, pray for each other, so that you may be healed. So who's that? righteous person in your life that you could say, I want to sit down and confess this stuff so it doesn't fester in the dark anymore, because that's where it holds the weight or the shame or the torment is when it's in the dark. And so when you truthfully bring it to the light, you confess it. For me, I had a miraculous moment of just really feeling all shame lift the second that I shared some of the really, you know, most kind of disgusting or embarrassing type of experiences I had sexually and just felt the shame lift to help me be able to move on, see myself the way God did, and really understand the power of the cross and the power of my sin being as far as the East is from the West and all of these scriptures I was holding on to. I felt the power after the confession.
2: Wow. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's it's kind of like the balance of acknowledge where I failed without being defined by the fact that I failed. Mm, mm. That's good. Right? And that's really tough, you know, a really I think good illustration. I'm, I'm really into sports. <clears throat> I think sports are some of the, you get some of the best life lessons through sports and my older two, our oldest two of our four are like diehard baseball, like 12 months a year, travel baseball, Florida, Omaha, Nebraska, Vegas, like, you know, playing all over. And baseball is a tough sport because there, you have to develop a ton of skill. Whereas basketball and football, if you're naturally athletic, you can kind of jump out there late, you know, like, you know, 15, 16, and and be good, maybe baseball, the balance the boys go through on a regular basis. I mean, just last weekend, my second son was batting. For those that don't know, batting over 300 is really good. He was batting like 400 in travel ball. And then he had a really bad weekend and he didn't get a hit all weekend. And he comes home and his immediate thing is I'm a horrible baseball player. He's crying and he's defining his entire baseball experience with one weekend. Mm. And we talk through it and I go, kiddo, you had you had one bad week in batting. It tells you that you need to work on hitting, but it doesn't, it should not tell you you're a bad baseball player. It should tell you, make some adjustments so you don't have to feel this again. Hmm. But it doesn't actually define who you are overall. Hmm. And I think in general, we as people, for some reason, whatever the most frequent and most powerful emotion is, we tend to define ourselves by that. As opposed to stepping back and saying, oh, this is how I feel right now. I feel really bad about what I've done. Doesn't actually define me, though. Those were weak moments. And I'm going to disassociate my identity as a person from that so that I can actually address that properly and make sure that I don't go back and make those same mistakes again.
0: Wow. That's so good. That's so helpful. I feel like... That hit home real real hard for me. (laughs) I feel like there's so much in there. I wonder, just as a follow-up question, I want to address maybe there's someone listening who would even maybe glance past this entire first part of this conversation, which has been so rich, and say, like, well, I haven't messed up sexually, so, you know, the whole issue of shame and feeling, like, guilt and shame around sex and sexuality, like, that's kind of not my problem. Can you give us any... any insight into why maybe someone who let's say they get all the way to the finish line, like, right. They get to their wedding night and they, they go to experience sex with their spouse. But then when they try to have sex, all of a sudden it's like this world of shame emerges on them. What has happened in that person's story that is not a result of maybe their own sexual choices that's yeah. contributed to that world of shame that they're in?
2: That's a really, really great question, Nina. and. You know the answer is really the way that sex is talked about yeah. communicated um dialogued about inside and outside of the church does what kate referenced at the very beginning it lumps it drug sex and rock and roll <laughs> why is sex with this with drugs mm. right like we without realizing it subconsciously as humans because of its ability to create so much pain, we've almost thrown the baby out with the bathwater and Mm. we've put it into a different bucket altogether. Mm. And so as Christians, a lot of times you have the holy bucket, things that God permits, and then you have the unholy bucket, (laughs) things that we know God says no to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the problem is the way that most sexual messaging is, even in the church, most people have sex in the unholy bucket. Mm. And so... We are trying to ignore the fact we have a sex drive. We are trying to act like we don't have a sex drive. We're trying, we have all of these things because, well, we can't do this because this is in the unholy bucket. Holy people don't do this. right? And so a 30-minute ceremony and a reception does (laughs) not flip an emotional switch to recategorize something that your entire life has put in one bucket. Right. Yeah. And so a lot of people that, you know, I was a virgin when I got married. I'd never been with anybody. Caitlin's it. She's the only one I've ever said I love you to. Um, I've never seen pornography still to this day. You know, so I'm somebody that's in that bucket. Thankfully, I had a really, really good mentor who my high school mentor that the night before my wedding and even leading up to it, lots of conversations about sex in high school with him. And the night before my wedding, he just said, you know, he any last bit of mental association to the, excuse me, to the negative, he disassociated and he just talked about God's design and why God gave sex for marriages and what his intent is in a marriage. And here's, and he actually gave me like, like actual practical anatomy pointers. Cause I didn't know. Um, <laughs> and it really was a really powerful moment because it helped oh. make sure that I had sex in the right mental bucket. Right. Right. Mm. And if God made it, it should never live in the unholy bucket. Mm. And if it is living there in our mind, that means that we've disassociated, or we've um, mislabeled it. We put the wrong label on it for X number of reasons. And then we have to step back and say the thing I always tell people is when you're trying to unpack your view of sexuality, you have to ask yourself a lot of why questions. Why do I think that way about sex? And then process. Hmm. What messages were you told and given at an early age? Think hmm. back to when you, were, hmm. you first became aware of this. What was the message? Where was it communicated? How was it communicated? And what emotions did that automatically attach in your subconscious, or that your subconscious attached to that? And start to go through item by item and allow the Holy Spirit to come in and relabel. Wow. And to even correct language. So if you were told... By a, let's say let's say there's a single parent and and you know a lot single parents I don't know how single parents do it I, we have two of us and we're barely making it so <laughs> you know I just single parents have my heart and I just know that a lot of times when a single parents talking to the opposite sex they don't, they feel lost in what their words are hmm. right. Well, that fear for that single parent without ever realizing it could. And then I know non-single parents that have the same amount of fear. I say, I tell the single parents, I go, just so you know, we're all scared of this. (laughs) Like, this isn't a single parent thing. This is a every parent thing. Mm -hmm. And then we, but we, a lot of times can accidentally make statements like, oh, sex isn't bad or don't talk that way. Or your 12 year old, your 10 year old comes home and says, what's sex? Who showed you that word? Don't say that. It's S-E-X. Without realizing it, all of those tiny little tones Mm. have been categorizing sex our entire life. Wow. And so you just, as an individual, you would go in and say, okay, the first time I remember my dad, I came home, I asked him, you know, God will give you these memories and bring them back up and say, he said sex was bad. What's the truth? Sex is actually good. It's designed by God, but it's meant to be experienced inside of his will. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can actually self-talk yourself into relabeling and recategorizing what sex is. Mm.
0: I love that. Something I just want to affirm about you, too, as a couple is I've been following you from afar. I know you personally, but also following you from afar because we don't live in the same area. And I remember one time, Kate, I was just on your social media and you were having a conversation with one of your kids about um, something that came across and it triggered a conversation about sex. And I have replayed that social media capture that I just flipped through so many times in my mind as a parent and, and use that with my own daughter in talking about sex and sexuality and her body. And so I just wanna affirm you. You say that what you wanna do is you wanna tell a better story, but I think that is what you are doing. And I think how amazing that the world says, hey, to learn about sex, you have to go to these places what you're presenting is, hey, let's talk about sex and let's let's talk about sex with people that maybe have a story and a life that that looks like the one that we want to have. And so yeah. as I watch the way that you deal with this, even with just your own kids, um, I just want to say it's impacted me personally. I'm really grateful for what you guys are doing.
2: Thanks, Dina. Thanks, That's
0: encouraging. Yeah. You All right, guys. Who's up next?
1: Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to kind of switch this question partially because you talked about this like like negative unholy bucket and then this like right correct bucket with like our view of like sex and shame and God. Um, how do I like, I've experienced a lot of shame in my life. I often have defined myself in a story of like, I'm, I messed up once and then this is who I am. Uh, yeah, yeah. and I associate that action with me. Yeah. How do I change or take that shame, remove it from my life so that it's different for me in the future. How do I get from like the messy bucket back into God's like holy bucket? Hmm. So
3: My first thought is what you just described is exactly what shame does, right? Cause we all make mistakes. We all know and could say, we are not perfect. We will make mistakes. But shame says, I didn't make a mistake. I am a mistake. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't mess up. I am a mess up. That's what that's where shame comes and completely distorts the whole view. So to be able to look at, you know, righteousness, holiness, um, or the godly standard of whatever you've put in the shame bucket, and be able to try to separate the two from this is why it's sin, because I think then the other side where people would just be like, live however you want, right? Then it's like, there's no, uh, there's no conviction, there's no sin or not sin. So I think looking at it, labeling it as such, seeing the natural consequences, the spiritual consequences, but being able to look at shame and. I mean, we all sing it in the song, shame can go to hell. Like nothing fires me up more than seeing the, the plan of the enemy in my life. So to be able to look at it and say, this is what the sin was, but this is what shame says, and be able to separate the two and be able to repent and be like, that's sin. That's not the way I'm going. That does not define who I am. Um, and then shame, you can go to hell. Like you're, that's not who I am. And being able to, for me, it was looking at and having to say okay i remember being a new christian which is when i was separating a lot of my sin and shame and being able to say people would always say like you just need to know who you are in christ but i'd be like i don't know what that means like can somebody yeah. break that down like the Bible's yeah. really big and i'm reading about all kinds of craziness like what does it mean like know who i am in christ and so yeah. being able to find those identity <laughs> scriptures And really look at them and like spend time and like, I just spent so much time in finding all the identity scriptures and speaking them over myself and being like, that's who I am. So I think when we can combat shame with identity of who God says we are, it really has no voice. Yes. What's your name?
1: Cody. My name is Cody.
3: Cody. So the thing I would tell you,
2: and I'm not saying this necessarily applies to you, but I will say this applied to me. Um, The cross was a bible story to me for a long time yeah like i grew up in the church and the cross was a bible story to me it was in our dating life that i realized the cross is powerful when i full when i seek to fully understand what jesus did on it okay and i want to give you the the situation so we're we were getting closer and closer to marriage And I was getting pretty bothered and I would almost, tormented is too strong of a word. It's not like it was some horror movie, but it, like I was, it it was bothering me thinking about all these guys that she had been with, right? Like, you know, she would say she can't count, you know, she doesn't know how many guys that she had oral sex with when she was in middle school and when she was in high school. And that ambiguity, you know, there was just, my head was like, oh, I don't know if I can marry her. I don't know if I can do this. This, it was like a, a struggle for me. And I said to her one day, I go, I need to know everything you've done and who you've done it with.
1: Okay.
2: And she goes, you know, I've, I don't feel like I'm that person anymore, but I am willing to share this with you. And we, we scheduled a time, like we set up a time for us to meet. And then in between when I asked her to do it and then we met, I've always wanted to be a pastor since I was like four years old. It's all I've ever wanted to do. I'm literally living my childhood dream right now. And,
3: and used to preach to yeah. your teddy bear. Yeah, I used to practice preaching to <laughs> my teddy bear. So <laughs> oh cry. my God. No <laughs> lie. Yes. Um, he used to ride on, around on his bike and say, I'm the police officer and the pastor. I can pray for you and protect you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and and so, in but, but from when I said I need to meet to when we met, the Lord, you know, I was in my time with the Lord, and he just like very clearly said to me, He goes, if you make her relive her past, I can't have you be a pastor. Dang. And I, you know, I'm in this conversation with the Lord and I said, well, why, how are those two things connected? And he said, well, because you clearly don't understand the cross or forgiveness and grace yet because I have forgiven her. I don't see her that way anymore. And if you're going to make her relive what I've already paid for, it shows me that you don't, you're not actually qualified to talk about my grace. Dang. And it was the moment I would say, I I think I was 20 or 21 and I had been raised in the church. And I literally, in this moment with the Lord, I thought, I don't know that I've ever understood the cross. Like it's not the Easter story. I mean, this is literally God's plan for redemption. And then when I began, and I just started praying, I said, all right, Lord, give me a deeper understanding of what the cross did. Help me understand what it means that because you are pierced you are pierced for our transgressions. You just live right there on that scripture. Help me really understand it. And I want to apply what you did on the cross to every person that hurts me. And I want to apply it to every sin that I've committed. I want to really deeply know this. And so what I always encourage people to really pursue when they're trying to tackle their shame mm-hmm. is really go after understanding the cross Like, read the scriptures about why Jesus had to die, why he Mm -hmm. chose to do that. What does the Bible say about the blood of Jesus? Because all of a sudden, we get when we do that, we transition from this works-based idea of Christian living Mm -hmm. into being covered by the power of the Lamb, Mm
3: -hmm. being
2: covered by the power of Jesus. And now, all of a sudden, we look at our sins way differently. We look at them the way that he does. Most likely... Many of us still are looking at them the way humans do, not the way Jesus does. Wow.
1: Dang. So That's so powerful. Dang. Okay. That I'm gonna have to sit with that for a little bit, but like in a in a in a good way, in a good way. So what, <laughs>
0: whole cross thing. Yeah. Yeah. a little, yeah, just, yeah, little
2: important to meditate on. Yeah. A little. <laughs> that I
1: might just have to sit with the most important thing in Christian history. For a little bit longer. It's true,
2: but I mean, think about it. How busy are we in the American church today? Right. Right. Yeah. Like who has time to sit and think about the cross? Right. We have the next event. We have the next meeting. We have the next thing to prepare for. The ne- I mean, we all live in that world. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I found myself a slave to Christian busyness and it was all for good causes. Hmm. And then I realized, and I haven't actually thought about the goodness of my Savior in a long time. Hmm. Yeah. I haven't actually slowed down to process what does the cross mean to the people I'm leading? Wow. To The people I'm leading with, what does the cross mean as a mm-hmm. dad when I need to forgive my son and I don't want to, and mm-hmm. I want to punish him. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like as Christians, if we can get back to that place, a lot of these things that we haven't been able to solve in our word counseling and our one-on-ones and all of our dialogue are solved in the presence of God and a deeper understanding of what he did.
0: Yeah. Mm. With that, we're going to have a part two and a part three of this conversation with Moral Revolution, but I feel like that's actually a great place to end this first part of the conversation is to take to heart everything that has just been shared about how the gospel covers everything that we would find ourselves Feeling shame over. And so as you are listening, as you're watching, I just want you to hit pause and don't go to the next episode. Don't go to the next song. Don't go to the next whatever is next. Just take a second and actually let that word about the gospel and what the cross covers sink in. So thank you so much for joining us. We're going to hop into part two and part three, but for this one, let's end with the cross. Thank you for joining us today on the Thrive College podcast. We hope that today's episode has empowered you to navigate the challenges and the opportunities of your future and your faith. If you really enjoyed our conversation today and appreciated what we had to offer, we would love for you to write a five-star written review and share it with your friends. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.